I'm David Copper. And tonight we're here on Liberty Island. People come to this island by boat, and I've made the trip quite frequently during this past year, getting ready for tonight. A couple of weeks ago when I was on the boat, a young sightseer about seven years old came up to me and said, Are you David? He said he saw me make the car disappear. And then he said he saw me make the jet plane disappear. I thanked him, and I watched as he looked up at the Statue of Liberty. Then at me. Then back to the statue. Then back to me. Finally, he looked me right in the eye and said, Are you thinking what I think you're thinking? Well, that's what I was thinking, all right. And tonight, he and I and you are going to find out if it can be done. Can the Statue of Liberty really disappear? Well, one thing's for sure. It won't be done with camera tricks. All the magic you'll see on your television screen tonight is what you could see if you were right here or part of live audience. For example, right now let's go on a little magical journey. To where? Well, you'll find out. Welcome, dreamers of all ages, to another episode of Unbuilt and Unrealized Think Park Podcast. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Ryan Dorman, and I'm not doing too good, I'm going to just tell you that. No, you, you sound like you've gone through the ringer, Ryan. <laughs> I mean, not only have I been sick, I mean, just before we started recording, my glasses broke in half. Mm. It's like an evil spell has come over me, and I, oh, think, you, I think you cursed me. I, I just I, didn't say it. I think you could, I, I I won't take credit for it, but I will take pleasure in it if that's <laughs> and and this all started last Thursday when I sat down in the movie theater. And mm. you know what happened is that I watched Ant Man in the Wasp Quantumania and oh. it wasn't it wasn't good. Mm. It, was, it was it was bad. <laughs> I told you. Everyone, th- th- these movies are bad. Everyone's just starting to realize that they're exactly the same movies they've been for the past 10 years. I like the first two Ant-Men. I like watch those again. movies. <laughs> watch, them. watch them again. Watch them Why? outside of the, the, the kind of bubble. <laughs> Why wouldn't the third one be nothing but an absolute delight, but it wasn't. It mm. was kind of boring and it uh, stayed in the quantum realm for too long. It wasted the Ant-Man characters and... I like Modoc. That was that was weird. You didn't you didn't see I, no, of, you didn't of course it. I didn't go see it. No. No. Yeah. I have better things to do with my time. <laughs> you you're you're better off not wasting your time with the MCU. That's right. I'm a big Zack Snyder guy now. Yeah. He tells it like it you're, is. You're you're now like going to the what more like the MCU? M- I don't believe in the MCU. I think Zack Snyder can bring all of his stuff back to Netflix. <laughs> James he's Gunn. Making, he's making uh, what's that movie he's making for Netflix right now? Is it Rebel Moon or something like that? I have no clue. I honestly don't know. I don't. I, Zack Snyder is not somebody I keep on my radar that strongly. I, I all I know about this Ant Man movie is that Peyton Reed decided that it would be a good idea to make a big action movie instead of a comedy movie like he's known for. 
don't and think was, that's that's awful lot of credit you're giving the pay. That's a good point. Okay, well then, how about this? It seems like in the span since, at the very least, Thor Ragnarok, and now Marvel basically decided to just stop giving directors any like control of their movies because mm-hmm. you're getting cheesy children movies from Taika Waititi. And you're getting action movies from Peyton Reed. Right. But don't worry. In uh, Instead of giving the director's control, Kevin Feige put the writer of 238 episodes of Jimmy Kimmel Live on the scene. <laughs> which, if, for me, is actually a qualifier that you're better than movies. So the fact he was so nice and came down to the movies is so commendable. Thank you, Jeff. I, I also wouldn't put too much well, What are you going to put it on that's so you, you think you it's Jeff Feige? He doesn't make the movie? No, no way. You sound like the Star Wars fans who blame Kathleen Kennedy. <laughs> well, no, I mean... They just I'm produce just, the I'm movies. Saying, I'm saying Kevin Feige has this clear vision, and he clearly wanted, is like, okay, this Ant-Man movie, where should we go next? It should be in the quantum realm, and I think that drove many of these bad decisions that were made. I mean, surely, right, there was some, yeah, we should introduce these characters today. Yes, they need to do these things. And yeah, we need to set up Kang, I guess. But like, I don't know. At the end of the day, these two people directed and wrote the movie. And it's poorly written and poorly directed from what I gather. And I don't think me seeing it would allow me to, I don't think I'd suddenly change my tune and start saying that they're amazing, perfect movies. Have you seen the screenshot of uh, Modoc's bare name? Ass. Yeah. yeah, Jeff yeah. Loveless keeps posting it on Twitter over and over yeah. again. Um, uh, I don't, uh, I don't get the funniest thing I've gathered so far is that Modok is the main villain from Ant Man One. Yes, that is correct. Which is funny enough. I, um, I don't know. I don't. The, I, I didn't care about these things already, <laughs> and then the more I hear about Ant Man Quantumania, the more I feel like. I'm glad I don't care. I don't care about the TV shows. Now I can stop watching the movies now that it's in phase five or whatever. Um, Thank God they got this writer back to do Avengers 4, which is directed by... Who's directing Kang Dynasty? Is it John Watts? Uh, Directed by Destin Daniel Cretton. And who's that? Yeah, he's a Cretan. (laughs) He directed Shang-Chi. Ah, thank you. That's who it is. I knew it was. And, yeah. And it, okay. Thank you. I knew it was. Uh, it was an MCU director, but it was like I don't think it's John Watts. I think it's another one. And yeah, it's a Shang Chi guy. That's it. And great. I like Shang Chi, so that's that's good. But it's also well, written by Jeff Loveness, and so it's like, hmm. But hey, there's still time. He probably's. They're probably gonna look at the bad reception of um, Quantum Mania and boot him. But what is like the thought? What is the thought? I guess because you want to hire in house. Because maybe it's a lot cheaper to hire somebody already on the payroll and ABC than to go to Marvel. Because I guess if you're like Kevin Feige, what what's the process in your head? Are you just watching Jimmy Kimmel on ABC one night and saying, that guy, who wrote the 15th Trump joke of this episode? Please. I think they're, just, they're just looking for somebody to do punch up and put things together on a page from a story treatment. I honestly well, think, it, I think you're right. They're there to like slot in segments and go, this is how you make this. And then we're going to kind of rub it this way and flex it this way. I don't I don't see those the the credited writers having too much i don't think they're actually like forming what's happening i think that's all happening in a separate mm-hmm. story room yeah they're just writers for hire because i know i think that was one of the big troubles that uh 
Raimi was having on Multiverse of Madness mm-hmm. yeah. is that he obviously the movie has his distinctive visual style, but it's mm-hmm. still c- kind of crap because the writing is kind of crap. Um, I like it. I like it, but like, I don't know. I liked it in a bubble. <laughs> Things can be crap and like enjoyable, I guess. Mm. I don't know. When I go to try a new thing at Taco Bell, if you ask me what I thought of it, I'd say, yeah, it's crap, but I guess I kind of liked it. Wrong. It's a little bit better. It's delicious. <laughs> it's art. <laughs> it's a seven and a half. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of, you've been, uh, the whole butt of the joke for like months now has been that you were just excited that Ant-Man was coming. Because every time we talk about a Marvel, I'd Broke. be like, oh, it sucks. It just shattered my heart. Well, what happens next? Like, do you do you go back to being nah, a, I'm, I'm a Marvel watch fan? Oh, I'll watch Loki. So <laughs> anyways, uh, with that said, it's time to move on to our main topic. And we're going to get a little magical mm. in our uh, topic this week about David Copperfield. All right, here we are for our main topic about uh, Copperfield Magic Underground. This is going to span two different topics, really, and dovetailing them into one. We really haven't talked about the theme restaurant on this podcast, mm. or we haven't talked about magicians. Mm. Mm. Oh, okay, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> you were like, mm? on one and on the other. So you don't really, you have you ever seen a magic show? No, I've never actually seen one in person. Um, really? Well, I, obviously, you know, I think your access to magic shows is a lot better than mine. Right. Yes, that's true. Yeah. I, I think that, I don't know. I, I, they've never really been big over here. And when I've been in Vegas, I've never really been interested. I would watch um, Penn and Teller's TV show, I guess. Okay. Uh, the Fool Us. I always kind of like that one. But Have you ever gone into the Disneyland magic shop and watched the demonstration? Uh, I've never seen a demonstration. Uh, maybe I've seen one or two demonstrations. I don't know. But I yeah. I have been in there, yes. Mm-hmm. Never going to a birthday party and some bad magician is no. performing. Have you? You know have what? You... No. Technically I not. Say, like, I, don't, I don't think they cliche. do that anymore. It's just a cliche that I always think of. Uh, we did for one. You know, it's funny. We didn't mention this. Uh, for one birthday, we actually had a, a costumed character show up. And... Would you guess what the costume character was? I'll give you a hint. We discussed this character on this recent miniseries. Roger Rabbit? Yes. Really? We had had a costume Roger Rabbit show up at uh, one of our birthday parties. This is really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it was very, it's a very odd memory of it. I was like, that's right. It's a guy dressed as Roger Rabbit has showed up. And well, I think was it, Roger Rabbit really that big such that they had like knockoff Roger costumes? Yeah, he was, he was huge in the, in wow. the early nineties. That's just hard for me to believe. I mean, I believe it, but yeah. it's just like in my present view, I've never even seen a Roger Rabbit mm-hmm. plushie. Right. I, I, I have been grew up in, uh, you know, magic town. And I've seen a few uh, magic shows before. Um, and I remember uh, the, the, one of my favorite things growing up was 
uh, this is probably before your time, but uh, on uh, Fox, they would often air this uh, television special called Magician's Secrets Revealed, where you get to see how they pull off the illusions that magicians do. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about magic, if you're a fan of theme parks, you are a fan of magic. It's just true. What? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Illusion, right? Right, right. Yeah. So as as the, as Job in Arrested Development would say, <laughs> illusion, Michael. Mm. Trick is something a whore does for money. And uh, it, uh, the Haunted Mansion is just one illusion after another. It's just that, right. That's it's right. just all a bunch of just magic tricks. Illusion, Michael. Mm. Trick is something a whore does for money. One after another. And that's what a magic show is, really. Like these elaborate magic shows. We'll, we'll talk about Copperfield show. You have gone to a themed restaurant, I assume. You've gone to what? Rainforest Cafe or T Rex? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was a Rainforest Cafe. There's like two in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to Planet Hollywood. I swear I've been to other kinds. I've, I've been to like in DC, there's like colonial themed restaurants. Yeah, I've done a lot of those. Uh huh. Oh, okay, cool. A colonial themed restaurants. What is that like? This one, this was like, this was a bar that just opened up in Georgetown. If there's any okay. DC people listening, uh, it is a, it's a bar that it's not like colonial themed where people are dressed up like as colonial, you know, it's not like historically colonial themed. It's almost like kind of like Trader Sam's in that style that it's, uh, there's like colonial design inside and all of the drinks are like modern. A lot of the drinks are like modern interpretations of older colonial food and drinks. Um, mm-hmm. But it's definitely not like a historical thing. It's more of a just like a thematic inspiration. But sure, yeah. I mean, the- thematic restaurants are the ways that you can bring theme parks to really any place without having yeah. to spend a big buck on uh, on stuff. Right. Which is the funny thing because they were usually in tourist corridors anyways, but yeah. uh, sometimes yeah. you would have it in your backyard. Well, that's what always confused me is like, why on earth would I go to Rainforest Cafe if I'm at the Animal Kingdom? <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, what am I? What was I? Maybe in the 90s, it was a different kind of feeling. But mm-hmm. True. True. And the thing is i mean the funny thing about the rainforest cafe in animal kingdom and it's always made me laugh is that it's accessible to guests inside and outside the park and i have one question about that Hmm. why would you be at animal kingdom and just go to the rainforest cafe no i agree with you what is around there even even when animal kingdom lodge opened that's like a trek what, no, what are you it's just doing? a pain in the ass. Right. What are you doing there? It doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. It never made any sense to me. But whatever. Whatever. Uh we're talking about a Copperfield, David Copperfield Magic Restaurant. So with that said, let's talk about the history of David Copperfield. He was born David Seth Kotkin in 1956 in New Jersey. By age 10, he was practicing magic as Davino, the boy magician. (laughs) At age 12, he becomes the youngest person ever to join the Society of American Magicians. And he's kind of shy and a loner, uses magic to impress girls, didn't fit in. He goes to Camp Harmony to work on magic and, oh God, ventriloquism. (laughs) Ventriloquists are, I mean... Have you seen a Jeff Dunham show? I know of a Jeff Dunham, Jeff Dunham show. Yeah. I know a guy who said that he, the only time he'd ever seen his father cry is from laughing at a Jeff Dunham joke. So oh, I can kind of imagine <laughs> what the 
the feeling of a Jeff Dunham show is like. <laughs> and yes, living in Vegas, I've seen quite the few ventriloquists. Um, oh, <laughs> and at age 17, he becomes the lead in the musical The Magic Man, Chicago, creating the illusions as well. That's when he changed his stage name to David Copperfield because his friends said they were reminded of the character from the titular Charles Dickens novel. So he changes it from David Kotkin to David Copperfield. At age 19, he headlines a show in Hawaii called The Magic of David Copperfield. But his big break comes in 1977. He gets this ABC special called The Magic of ABC, and he's featured in there. And CBS moves in and goes, hey, we're going to do yearly specials with you. So he does a David Copperfield special every almost every year from 1978 to 2001. That is mm. an over 20 year span. Jeez. I'm just going to ask, are you familiar with any of these? Uh of any of the events that he does? <laughs> yeah. Um like vaguely. I I David Copperfield really hasn't I don't know. I don't think he's like kind of stayed in like any sense of relevance. So I, I know of the uh, Li- Statue of Liberty one. Yeah, that one's pretty famous. It's yeah, it's hard not to know of that. So uh, in 1983, he does the Statue of Liberty making it disappear effect. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, in 1984, he levitates over the Grand Canyon. 86, he walks through the Great Wall of China. So these are kind of like going all over the globe doing these fantastic things 1987 he escapes from alcatraz 1991 he disappears an orient express passenger car in 1992 he flies on stage for several minutes he does this and it's very very theatrical like so the statue of liberty one uh he he makes the statue disappear so the way they're doing this is he has a bunch of people and they're on liberty island and they're seated on this um elevated stage okay he has a uh curtain go up mm-hmm. does you know some you know light show the curtain goes down and the statue's gone and everyone's like oh, he's gone good the statue's gone and copperfield like in this dramatic fashion he goes in front of the camera and says why he wanted to perform this illusion he wanted people to imagine what it would be like if there were no liberty or freedom in the world today and what the world would be like without the freedoms and rights we enjoy then he pulls the curtains back up light show comes back and then the statue reappears and he ends the illusion by saying our ancestors couldn't enjoy the rights and freedoms, but we can in our children world. I'm like, oh come on. It's a really bad illusion too. It's like actually that's one of my big problems with David Copperfield yeah. is that he's part he, of this generation of like Do you know how it was hacks. done? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's really dumb. It doesn't it's not it's not magic. Do do you want me to explain or do you want it to explain? I, uh, I, I mean I can explain to the best of my ability. And basically is they have an audience sitting watching the effect, right? Or they're watching the show, and a yeah, curtain no. comes up between two poles. And Correct. you can see the, the statue. And then the curtain, <laughs> curtain comes down and Copperfield does his whole speech. And from what I understand, they're just on like a big record table. Yes, such they're, that the they're, stage on, rotates. they're on a turntable. And the way that they did this was that they had helicopters and extra floodlights on the, the Statue of Liberty more than usual. Yeah. And they would turn them around just enough to not see the statue anymore. And when they would have it go off, all the floodlights would go off 
and the helicopters would shine away from the statue. Right. And that would create this momentary blindness effect to where, you know, it's it's like that effect where your eyes go suddenly in the dark. If you plunge into darkness, you right. really can't see and your eyes have to adjust. Well, he's mm. taking advantage of that. And so it's kind of like this kind of twofold trick, but yeah, it's, it's kind of cheesy stuff like that's that. That's not magic though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's an illusion. It's, yeah, but it's like, it, it's a, all right. Perhaps the light is meaningful, right? But yeah. there, it's not a very complicated trick. Illusion, Michael. Mm. Trick is something a whore does for money. It's like something that would only work on television. And I guess in the space there it works because they blind so you're saying that I, that I didn't know. So the, the floodlights would just like, they would turn towards the audience or no? No, the, the floodlights would turn off. So something that was brighter than usual would completely uh, go like out. a reverse. So yeah, okay. Right. So all the light would drain out. That would be the idea. So they their, their eyes couldn't adjust to see the statue anymore. And that's sort of the idea. I'm, uh, I'm reading now the... I'm reading uh, about an article now about it. Yeah, that's interesting. And I guess they they it seems like they actually put like a fake platform where they use like mm-hmm. helicopters to make it like Yes, that's true. Yes. You could see, oh, you could see this is where the statue used to be. Like if you mm-hmm. don't pay too much attention and look behind this would you be able to look behind the statue and say that's not the same? Well it, where where they were from where they were they sitting? Remember, like the cameras were focused right. and the audience could not see they couldn't turn their heads around. Too much. Mm, gotcha. So it's, it's kind of weird effect. So in 1996, Copperfield opens a Broadway show called Dreams and Nightmares and breaks records at the Martin Beck Theater. And Copperfield, at this point, he's renowned for being the most famous living magician in the entire world. And you know who enters at this point? Oh, one Mr. Michael Eisner. <laughs> I want you to describe the photo that we're looking at on the next page. Uh, well, we have a, uh, embarrassment. Um, okay. So there's Michael Eisner, lovely Michael Eisner mm-hmm. with uh big Disney MGM studios in the background. And then you have Mr. Copperfield here. Now, Michael Eisner is perhaps most importantly wearing a really interesting bow tie. Yeah. Is, is that Mickey Mouse? What's on that? I think it's, I think it's like a Minnie Mouse or Mickey yeah. Mouse bow tie. Uh, I can't really tell. That it is because you can see the nose. You can yeah. see Mickey's nose on the left side there. Mm-hmm. And then you have the, the top secret magic underground plans inside of a, uh, uh, a hoop, a hoop. And the plans are on big white paper because that's what plans are on. Right. And um, it seems like David Copperfield is uh, levitating them. Yes, he's levitating them through the hoop. He's performing a magic trick. Don't you love this? Okay. So the rise of the theme restaurant began with Planet Hollywood and Hard Rock Cafe in the late 80s and early 90s, continuing with Rainforest Cafe and stumbling from there. The idea, of course, is to make your dining a themed experience which immerses you in a feeling or setting. Uh, Copperfield was kind of interested in this idea and sought to combine it with a restaurant that guests could enjoy illusions as they dine. There were two inaugural locations planned, Times Square and Disney MGM Studios. Copperfield said he was inspired by Walt Disney and his parks as a kid, so he saw Walt Disney World as a natural fit for the product. And you can see uh, a newspaper clipping, David Copperfield works to magic, works magic to transform blueprints into restaurants. Uh, which, okay. <laughs> and he's there with Mickey, 
in his sorcerer's hat and uh at disney mgm studios copperfield is wearing the copperfield magic underground sweatshirt and he is with judson green president of walt disney attractions it was a name i really have not heard that much Mm -hmm. Uh, He was the president of uh, basically what was, you know how Josh DeMaro's the head of uh, Disney Parks Experiences and Projects or Products, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's basically that role, right? So this is the Bob Chapek or the Josh DeMaro of the late 90s. Uh, And he's there to review blueprints and discuss the construction of Copperfield Magic Underground. This magic-themed restaurant set to open in 1998 will offer guests grand and illusions as they perform uh, as they dine on American and international fare. The 30,000 square foot restaurants will have entrances in both inside and outside of Disney MGM Studios. Eisner said at the press conference announcement in 1996, as Walt Disney Imagineers do at our theme parks, David Copperfield creates magic on a grand scale. You can see the similarity there. Uh, We are very pleased to have the master of illusion, David Copperfield, join us uh, to bring a spectacular new adventure to our guests at Walt Disney World Resort. He will take the concept of dining entertainment to a new dimension. And this is the most famous aspect of it. So usually these unbuilt attractions, they go unnoticed to most guests because nobody ever talks about them. But in this case, you could actually see existence of it right at the entrance. Mm. So signs were placed in Disney MGM Studios at the front of the park for coming soon alongside Fantasmic. And you could see right where they are. They were on their way as you go up towards the main gates and you would see Copperfield Magic Underground, summer 1998, and Fantasmic, fall 1998. So these were kind of like being constructed, almost like kind of a duplex. One may notice the torch in the Copperfield Magic Underground logo, which, by the way, the name of the restaurant is Copperfield Magic Underground, not, and I repeat, not Copperfield Underground Magic. Just going to say, oh. get it right, because you can see right there, the logo is CMU. <laughs> it's CMU. So I just want to point that out. I wish it was Copperfield's Underground Magic. You dirty dog. (laughs) (laughs) The idea is that it would be built right next to the Phantasmic Stadium. The pathway to Phantasmic would serve as an entrance to the restaurant, which guests could also access next to the boat dock from outside the park. A trick. Illusion, Michael. Mm. Trick is something a whore does for money. That would be instituted the same year as its intended debut at Disney's Animal Kingdom with Rainforest Cafe, which we were just there. There we go. It all loops around. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is a piece of a map from that 90s, late 90s um, Disney MGM Studios. And you can see uh, where Fantasmic is. So you see that green space right there. That is where Copperfield Magic Underground would have been. And you could see the boat dock there, right? Yes. Okay. That's where the entrance to Copperfield Magic Underground would have been. So it would have been a viable reference as the entrance would be themed to the dock on Liberty Island. Inside, guests would encounter pieces of the Statue of Liberty all around the restaurant, (sighs) as if David has made it vanish in, in New York City and reassembled it around diners. Alongside the walls, various props from Copperfield magic tricks would be hung along with unique illusions all around. At the center of the restaurant was to be a stage where magic tricks... Illusion, Michael. Mm. Trick is something a whore does for money. ...would be occasionally performed. 
the wait staff would also perform sleight of hand tricks for guests at the table themselves. That would be kind of the close up magic, such as card. That tricks. would never happen. Sorry, I know we have a whole segment for that, but all right, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> okay. On elaborate film screens that appear out of nowhere, Copperfield himself would appear as the master of ceremonies. The restaurant was a massive 30,000 square feet and sat 500 people with a menu that consisted of steaks and pizzas mm. for some reason. Uh, and yeah. And other items Copperfield has enjoyed while touring the world. A 2,000 square foot gift shop, of course, would be attached at the outside entrance that would sell logo merch as well as magic kits and maybe a VHS of a Copperfield special or two. <laughs> so... That was Copperfield Magic Underground at Disney MGM Studios. Pizza and steak mm-hmm. is what I would personally combine together. That's the magic, Ryan, is that yes. they made pizza and steak finally together at last. Mm. Now, <laughs> I believe it's, it's, it's a Skyliner station around this area. No, not at all. Skyliner Station's in the parking lot. This is still the boat section for a a boardwalk and then Yacht Beach. But it's it's fairly near. Like, could you get off the Skyliner, just go to Copperfield Magic Underground? I, if you wanted to, I guess yeah. I, I don't know. Just, I, it just it doesn't. I'm sorry, just doesn't make any sense to me. Both of these ideas: the Rainforest Cafe at Disney MGM, uh, Disney Animal Kingdom, and Copperfield Magic Underground at Disney MGM. Why would people travel direct yeah. to just Disney MGM Studios? There's nothing else around. There's not even like a hotel that's within walking distance. Um. Well, yeah. I, I'm more sympathetic to like the MGM decision because while Boardwalk and Yacht and Beach aren't close, mm-hmm. it's close enough that it's you can take a boat. Enough. Animal yeah. Kingdom is like the furthest out park in the entire resort. Yeah. It's a nightmare to get over there sometimes. So like, yeah, I don't know why you'd have a restaurant there that you also have in Disney Springs. Yeah. So. Eisner was entertaining the idea and let Copperfield purchase a lease in the spot at Disney MGM Studios while they focused Mm. on opening the first restaurant in Times Square for 1997. Now, the Times Square restaurant actually got 85% complete and had an elaborate backstory. There's a very gothic exterior of the Colossal Monuments Unlimited headquarters founded by Daniel Cooperidge in the early 20th century. Uh, Colossal Monuments Unlimited. Daniel Cooperidge. Hmm. Gee. <laughs> this is the place where the Statue of Liberty vanished to when Copperfield made it disappear. Dude, was it? Was that that big? Was that like really like a big cultural moment? The Statue of Liberty thing. This is like most famous illusion, right? But were people like really into that at the time? Was it like a... it was it was a big ratings hit? I think. Really, I know I've heard of it, but I didn't think it was two restaurants big. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. A sign outside for Heineken beer and two other sponsors on metal trusses would elaborately perform a ninety-second light show flanked by two torches and change it into the marquee. For Copperfield Magic Underground. So the idea is <clears throat> you have the usual Times Square advertisements, but once, uh, twice every hour, it would turn into the Copperfield Magic Underground signage. Inside the atrium, guests would encounter a model of the Statue of Liberty and enter a restaurant on multiple levels similar, if not slightly smaller, than the Disney MGM Studios location. But uh, Copperfield didn't actually invest his own money in the restaurant, smart guy, but was very hands-on project kept getting delayed as he demanded more and more crazy illusions and gaudy architecture inside he became pretty controlling there was cost overruns becoming too much and the financial team pulled out from copperfield's involvement 
seeking the rebrand with Vegas magician Lance Burton, who you probably have never heard of. Who the hell is that? <laughs> exactly. Right. Lance Burton is a very Vegas specific magician. No longer performs here. He retired um, about a decade or so ago. But yeah. Why? Why? Nobody knows who Burton, Lance Burton is outside of Las Vegas. Uh, Burton declined and the project hit a total wall. The space sat empty for a while and Disney decided to cancel their lease without the proof of concept Times Square location in late 1997, pulling down the signs in downtown Disney and Disney MGM Studios. Fantasmic was then given the go-ahead to move on about the neighboring restaurant, which some say was being redesigned to actually have the restaurant underneath it for a while. Mm. Fantasmic opened in 1999, a year behind schedule due to the Copperfield Magic Underground delays. The investors for Copperfield Magic Underground lost $34 million. The subcontractors oh. placed an additional $15 million alone against them in liens. Copperfield moved on to settle for a Las Vegas residency in the early 2000s, still being performed for a day with our friend Blue 32, who you don't know, but... What is a Blue 32? So, it's time I told you about the Copperfield show in Las Vegas. It's very special. If our viewers don't want to hear about the Copperfield show in Las Vegas, they can skip ahead about a few minutes. But the Copperfield show here ends with a very schmaltzy narrative segment where Copperfield discovers that his father worked for Area 51 and recovers a alien who is performed by a standalone audio animatronic. Jeez. So the entire last 30 minutes revolves around a interactive audio animatronic alien named Blue 32 voiced by Rob Paulson. And there is a UFO uh, effect, and it is very, very silly and very funny and very theme parky. How long has he been doing Blue 32? <laughs> or at least it has to be nearly 20 years now. That's kind of weird. I saw it a couple of years ago, and it's so funny. It's so weird. It's so funny. And it is so theme parky. And it's actually a pretty good animatronic too. Hmm. Yeah, it's like it's its mouth is very fluid and its tentacles, its little tentacles move and its arms are fluid. It's very, very well done. But has it been like updated over the years, I guess? I don't know if it's been updated, the actual animatronic, but it looked good from where I was sitting and it's not a big theater. You actually get pretty intimate with it. But yes, I love love blue 32 you're my boy uh uh Ew. And <laughs> pictures of it oh a lot of the pictures are he looks like flick from ant man uh, from uh bugs life and an avatar kind of a little bit yeah it's it's hard there's not many photos of it in uh in the show because you can't take photos in the show uh, yeah. well rob paulson has some pictures of him with like a figure or like a reproduction or something like that. right mm-hmm. anyways uh what if what if david i was actually able to conjure up enough magic to make copperfield magic underground occur uh, do you think that this would be here in 2023 no okay <laughs> No. Do, do I think there'll be a magic restaurant still in 2023 at Hollywood Studios? 
See, because, like, no, I, I don't. I mean, I just don't have any interest in magic, so maybe that's okay. why. But, All like, right. first off, Disney's been cutting back on their um their cast members being performers, right? Or they've been making, sorry, they've been cutting back on having to pay people who do more than a standard cast member job and thus would probably have to be paid. Now, okay, you, I'm going to stop you right so? there. I'm going to stop you right there. Uh-huh. This was not going to be owned by Disney. That it would be, okay, because it was owned mm-hmm. by... David Copperfield would basically uh, 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 would have lease in the land. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. lease in the land. I think it's a different company. Copperfield didn't oh. personally if it's licensing yet, but Disney didn't actually wasn't going to actually run it. Well, if I'm being honest with you, I <laughs> suppose if you asked me if the Rainforest Cafe would still be there, I would say no. Right. So maybe yeah, sure. I guess it would be like a weird relic. But I think if the whole thing is built around a bit that isn't really popular anymore, the mm. Statue of Liberty thing. I don't know how that could stick around. Now, I'll give you that, but I guess there's a Twilight Copperfield. Co- <laughs> Copperfield is still running a show in 2023 in Las yeah, Vegas. But no one goes. Is anyone going to that show? Yes, it sells out every night. Really? He does three shows a night. That's uh, that's weird to me. I didn't know that. I thought, mm-hmm. okay, well, maybe it would still be around and everyone would still be going. I just have never met anybody who has strong opinions nowadays on yes. David Copperfield. Besides, oh, I remember that time in the 90s when he blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. They did the thing. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know how much a themed magic restaurant would stick around. But that's know. that's the thing is that, yes – is his show is still running in Vegas, but that's actually see him. Now, the question is whether or not the brand is strong enough. Well, I think I don't that know if I'm the brand so is strong enough, but right. magic might be like that to me is what Copperfield's success mm-hmm. says more about his brand. Like, I, I don't think, think people yeah. care to go see him. I think it depends on how successful it is is the question i mean and how how well praised it is but i always found it curious that i mean why does the rainforest cafe still exist in disney's animal kingdom do people go to that i don't think they so must. they must it's still operating how old is animal kingdom the uh, almost uh, 25, 25 so, years old yeah around there yeah it's about the reaches 25th birthday that Rainforest Cafe has been running for 25 well, years. I don't think Disney has any reason to, like, charge them rent. Like, I mean, I know they're going to charge, like, a lease, of course. But I don't see any reason that they would evict them. That there's going to be, like, a prime real estate that Disney actively doesn't want there. It's True. outside of the resort. Excuse me, it's outside yeah. of the park. Mm-hmm. Um, it's essentially worthless. Mm-hmm. It would just collect dust if they didn't currently use it. Maybe that's what would happen with Copperfield. I mean, the ESPN zone was open for months and months and months right. um, beyond its uh, refresh rate. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. beyond its fresh date. Uh, refresh rate. <laughs> Um, it it definitely was open way beyond when it should have been. Uh, I think that the Edison, I guess, is still kicking in Disney Springs, despite not really reaching like a, uh, a strong peak in interest with the steampunk restaurant. So I I don't know if I think the brand of Copperfield would be what would inhibit it. I I think it would just be a general distaste for magic. What about the magic? What about the Abracadabar? Dude, did you know that the Abracadabar has regulars? Yes, I knew that. How did you know that? That was the. How did you know that? <laughs> because it's, it's like it's, it's something you know, learn, learn on Diz Twitter and stuff like that. That was the weirdest thing. Was going to the Abracadabra bar and like. First off, I'm surprised. I've never seen that before, so I was surprised. The Abracadabra bar has like people who go there as their bar, like mm-hmm. their you know, like their Cheers bar. They go and just get 
way too drunk after their insurance job at the Abracadab bar. Anyways, not to pass judgment on the Alkies at the Abracadab bar. Um, <laughs> I, I think that the difference is, is that had the Copperfield opened like a, had the Copperfield, had Copperfield <laughs> opened like a Trader Sam's-esque tiny bar with a lot of moving parts and exciting theming, I think that makes more sense. And that probably, I would to this day say, would probably still be there. Mm-hmm. It would be like the magic store at Disneyland, where it would be there for long enough and it would have enough going on. The magic store is, of course, of course a cultural institution. Of course. But I think a Copperfield bar would be, like Abracadabra bar, just themed enough and small enough that it could stick around. Hmm. What's confusing to me is that they'd be sitting on a 500 person restaurant right a right. 30,000 square feet how many square feet was it 2,000 square oh, feet 3,000 30,000 30, okay I was 30, right so 30,000 square foot restaurant plus a 2,000 square foot gift shop the gift shop I think would be the most confusing part that's the thing that I would be the most like hesitant to say that it still exists you wouldn't buy a cat that says cmu on it with the logo i want a, I want a cat i want the cmu jar <laughs> you I don't want the, uh, the cmu jar you, you don't want <laughs> you don't want uh <laughs> my Copperfield magic yeah. underground jar for my, yes, little, yes, my little yes. pony and and you don't want your magic <laughs> kit you I, Maybe the magic kits would sell, but like there's no industry anymore for like VHSs and DVDs. Yeah, I know that. Right. It's it's the nineties. Of course there would be at that that time. I don't know. Like so these ideas, these themed restaurants, specifically ones to themed to cultural institutions of the nineties, they always Mm -hmm. confuse me a little bit. Because I step back and I say, Well, what what is it still doing around? Like, but Planet Hollywood is still popular. The Mm -hmm. one in Disney Springs Is is it's still around it? and people go I mean, there. I mean, I, I, the Planet Hollywood brand is cratering like crazy. They only have six locations. When I say popular, I mean that in theme parks and like highly yeah. trafficked areas, people mm-hmm. are going. I would say the Hard Rock Cafe is the only one sure. that's really hanging on. I mean, Rainforest Cafe has also been plummeting recently that's i don't know i don't know but, is, is it me or um, it, it feels so hypocritical to say this as a theme park fan but does, is it me or the t-rex cafe it seems like the most miserable place on earth oh t-rex cafe is garbage t-rex cafe is horrible <laughs> it looks it looks so miserable and maybe maybe if you if you had a private party in there with no sure. babies and no kids, <laughs> it would be cute for like five minutes. But well, the T Rex is the pinnacle of being for babies. Yeah, um, and that's fine because it's don't let baby. Alicia Stella hear you say that. She loves that. Oh, really? She loves she yeah. loves T Rex Cafe. I didn't know that. Um. Anyways, yeah, it's for babies. And <laughs> the the thing about Rainforest Cafe is, I think. I think it's obviously for kids and they've, they've definitely pivoted it towards kids more and more, but like the rainforest cafes have bars and like steaks. Does They're T-Rex like trying to be this bar? weird. I don't think so. Oh, if Alicia Stella hears that, she won't care. She doesn't. I'm no, I'm no longer going to listen to the unbuilt podcast. <laughs> Playful spooks have interrupted our tour. Please remain seated in your doom buggy. We will proceed in just a moment. So 
So there is a bar at T-Rex Cafe. Yeah, the podcast broke down, and then I was looking it up, and there is a bar. Mm. Um, so I was wrong, yeah. and Alicia Stella was right, I guess. So right. for to, um, to go to a place that is not fully for babies. Well, yeah, true. It's for adults. Well, the problem is, is that I think the while the Rainforest Cafe is like super childish. The T Rex, like out front, looks like a vomit of colors. No, you're right. And it's dinosaurs, which are like perfect for basically four year old obnoxious boys. Like, obviously, anyone can be into dinosaurs, but like the typical dinosaur fan is the most snot nosed four year old boy. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and they're just running around and they sell Build a Bears there. So while I think the di- and I also got food poisoning from there once. I'm not certain of it. I got shrimp there like an idiot. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, why don't I get seafood at the T-Rex cafe? <laughs> That's always the greatest idea. Yeah, I know, right? It's like the one step up from gas station sushi. But I, I went there and I remember feeling like, well, this is really pretty, but it, it just feels like a nightmare. And I think the Rainforest Cafe and T-Rex holds up, at least in like the public consciousness, because... They're like very attraction esque. They're like for kids, uh, and kids like exciting things, and they always have. Mm. And even though it's hard to predict what ne- the next trend is going to be, basically, uh, oh, this is going to get annoyingly philosophical. But basically, I think after the age like fourteen, like we all become like those people who think we're cooler than everyone else. So everyone's chasing new trends. But for kids, you don't really have to do that because they just like the same thing all the time. Just big, loud, loud, bright things. Just a different kind of toy each time. So like Rainforest, T-Rex can stick around, but Planet Hollywood and all of those other adult-themed ones, those are always going to fall apart because adults don't like maximalist, weird Hollywood kids' rides anymore. Mm. I think it was like a time in the 90s, you know, where where you that's what you did. You just blew everything out with massive designs. Right. And nowadays, I think it's a lot less typical for adults to do that. There's like a sense True. of class that's not there. So True. so wh- while I think Rainforest sticks around just by virtue of it being the Rainforest Cafe, it's great for kids and it's nostalgic. I don't... Uh, Copperfield, I think, is going to be a little tough. It's a tougher I don't think. Yeah. yeah, adults aren't going to keep going back because they don't care because it kind of blew over. And kids aren't going to care unless they're really into magic. Yeah. You know, again, the problem it's is, just very gothic right. uh, architecture and stuff like that. Yes. It's, not that it's not as much kid appealing. And this seemed to be more bougie and stuff like that. It's I, I think it might have been the wrong audience. The gothic castle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, and that is that it's a problem you know for something that's supposed to be on essentially disney property yeah Um, i mean it it would have made sense pleasure island yeah yeah i agree yeah for sure like a place where adults can go get food and kind of like i don't know magic was a uh uh, certainly has been magic for a long time magic used to be part of the center of entertainment like way early in the earlier in the 1900s early Mm -hmm. 1900s early 40s and then it kind of slips into children's stuff there's clowns there's stuff for kids birthday parties the magician essentially became a parlor trick Mm -hmm. um there's no you know classy magicians were never really a thing you watch like i don't did you see nightmare alley uh no i have not seen nightmare alley yeah there's the good scene where bradley cooper is doing the magic for the people in the bar Mm -hmm. and while i don't necessarily know if that was ever a thing maybe it was like the 1920s uh, stylish magician is at least an archetype that has survived for a while abracadabra uses it you know copperfield and david blaine and 
those other people. Chris Angel. Chris <laughs> Angel. Thank you. That's the other one. I couldn't remember. They basically, they didn't bring back classy magic, but they brought back adult magic. A magic, I mm. think, became a little sexier. Ooh. You know what I mean? Like Ooh. it was smooth. It had like a, a suaveness mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. So you put it in Pleasure Island. I think it makes more sense. You, you, mm. it's adult. It's very right. intricate. It's, um, it, it, it's, it's smooth. It's trendy. You know what I mean? It, it it's kind of like that. My mind is for some reason going to that scene in The Matrix Two where they're at the club or whatever. It's got like a real club energy to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just feels weird that you would put it in a Hollywood studios. And expect it to last into the future. I don't know if it would have lasted into the future in Hollywood Studios. Okay, let's discuss this. Sure. Let's say Copperfield Magic Underground built. Mm -hmm. Fails. Now (laughs) you have a giant, empty, nothing there. What does Disney do with it? Do they wonders of life it? Or do they actually do something with it? Um, Now, remember, this is actually in a good spot. It's right on the way to Fantasmic. Yeah, it's so it's on the way to Fantasmic. Disney doesn't own the land. Sorry, Disney doesn't own the building. So if the company goes belly up, I guess they Disney would, just would, gets the building. They would get the building, yes. Yeah, so it'd be pretty beneficial. They would give up their lease, and then Disney would take back the building. Honestly, I there's like a universe where it becomes like backstage. <laughs> it's, in a, it's in a really good backstage point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think that, yeah, sure. I, there's no reason it doesn't become a restaurant if it's already fitted with a kitchen. Now, what restaurant would it be? Let's see. What restaurant would go over there? It would be like, this would be like in the like early 2000s. Let's say like Copperfield Magic Underground like opens in 1998 and then fails. Yeah. Fails like within like the like post 9-11 just crumbles. Absolutely. And now it's like 2003, 2004 and Disney has to do something with it. What does Disney do with it? I think I have an idea, but I'm currently okay. looking up a fact. To f- I want I'm looking up a fact to see when something opened at Walt Disney World, and then if I'm right. Now, now, what, what do you would you can ask me because I probably sure. Know. I think you'll know because I don't. I don't know whether it opened around Pleasure Island or not. When did the Planet Hollywood open in Disney Springs? 1994. Oh, I found it. it. Yeah, okay. uh, it opened in yeah in the mid 90s. Okay, so... uh, and it opened as not uh, with. I believe it opened as they were starting to move out towards the west side. Uh huh. That's right. Mm-hmm. It was before Pleasure Island, right? Yeah. Or was it after? So it was. It was definitely. So this wouldn't have been. The, your instincts are good, mm-hmm. but I don't think it would have been Planet Hollywood because Planet Hollywood was already on the downturn by this period. You're right, but the thing is, we have Disney. We're in the early 2000s. We have an extra building, and we're cheap as shit in 2001. Yeah. Right, like we have no, the if we're just like give it back to give it to Robert Earl and just do whatever. Put a big Earl of sandwich second, in there. Second, second Planet Hollywood, fine, whatever. I mean, it, it's two thousand two, right? Two thousand three, two thousand four. So it's in that period. I don't know. Disney could like totally take that food court from Disney uh, DCA and um, the similar one from Disney Studios in Paris mm-hmm. and just put it there. Right. I, I I don't have high hopes for like this was gonna be the. Disney's Hyperion grocery store restaurant. Yeah. Or something like that. You know, I think I think it would probably be some really crappy cash in <laughs> restaurant. Like a, the, like a quick service. And the Incredibles restaurant. Yes, the Incredicoaster. It's like, well, how do you feel yeah. having your name on a restaurant? On a restaurant. And they say, Yeah, it's synergy. 
Is that what she says? Yeah. It's it's synergy, darling. It's, it's something I didn't, like that. I didn't remember that, actually, when yeah. I was on last. And it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> oh, my God. I feel like I'm uh, 17 again. Mm. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think that it probably would have been, at least for my bet, I'm looking like into the alternate dimension. I totally see that weird Hollywood quick service place opening up there. Right. Oh my god! Something just, like just imagine us, oh man. Or McDonald's. Mark, you got do have <laughs> do have a point though. Planet Hollywood, within the park. Oh, that. Well, remember there was a Planet Hollywood gift shop. There's a Planet. Yes, that is correct. There was a Planet Hollywood. It gift was like shop. right there. Yes, it was right next door too. Yeah. And the yep, so that, mm-hmm. that's my that's my bet. It's like you that's totally the, put a Planet Hollywood down there. Sure. Sure. Oh my god! I think we solved it. I. Uh, you but know I mean, what? There's one in can Disney go, Springs. But, can we go yeah. to build it or not? And just I'm going to say not build it because I don't nah, want to get into this. Not I'd rather have it, it be a empty, empty patch of grass as it currently is. I yeah. I mean, it just I'm not interested in magic. I'm not interested in David Copperfield. Is his name right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know. I know his name is David Copperfield. I, I don't know. He doesn't interest me. It doesn't like maybe if this was open, he would have been more popular. I don't know. But mm-hmm. as far as I care, I don't think he's like really I don't think it's like really a place yeah. that he could make a lot of uh, money as a theme park connoisseur. I am interested in magic. I think it's neat to watch. I think all stagecraft is interesting in some way. However, I don't necessarily think that adding a themed dining experience to it is necessarily a good idea because as a bunch of other themed restaurants have failed time and time again. So I I would have to say, don't build it. Uh, You know, I'd rather go to a theater and watch an intimate stage show rather than sit around and eat some steak and have a waiter, you know, go, is this your card? Is this your card? Is this your card? I, I just, I mean, the thing is, like, if you appreciate theme park magic, go on a theme park ride. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, why why give a half-assed magic show at a restaurant when I could go over to the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror? There's a right? bunch of magic tricks in there. Illusion, Michael. Mm. Trick is something a whore does for money. Exactly. Sorry, you know, Go on any of the rides in, mm-hmm. the, in the park. Maybe not Slinky Dog Dash, but everything else. <laughs> Uh, what, what what magic does Slinky Dog Dash have? <laughs> um, the magic of being really hot in the summer. It's like yes. the magic of heat. Because mm. <laughs> selling they, water bottles. Didn't they? Didn't they cover? They recently added did shade. They add I think they did. Well, mm. now you can be in the magic of being shrunk down in inside a cardboard box. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. So the scale is not the same as outside, but don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the food doesn't look too bad there. Yeah, that's the thing. Garbage. I wouldn't love to. I would love to be anywhere but inside there. But it would probably be very good food. Yeah. It it, it it actually um it looks like it's the Big Thunder Ranch kind of stuff. It does basically. definitely just mm-hmm. that you know it's gaudy and neon in there. Right. Burn your retinas out. <laughs> uh, it just looks ugly as hell. Yeah, it looks so bad. I'd rather go there than the Chris. What's his name? Uh, now I actually forgot his name. David Copperfield plays. You would go. I'd rather go there. Really? Yeah, oh, totally. I don't. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you must really, really hate magic tricks. I- Illusion, Michael. Mm. Trick is something a whore does for money.
it's okay. I like magic when it's talent. Like I think that it takes talent to do good sleight of hand. Frankly, I think it even takes good talent to do big stage shows. So I, th- mm-hmm. I give David Copperfield that. The problem I have with that generation of magicians is that it was right at the peak of modern television, like mm-hmm. contemporary television. It's right when contemporary television was like really peaking because you have the 80s and TV, but then like, you know, the cool networks start getting big, trendy. And a lot of the stuff they did on TV was just garbage. Some people, who's the guy who like flew up in a balloon or something like that recently? Oh, what did I he do? Remember. Well, I, I remember know, that know, yeah. some guy doing some trick where it was like it wasn't magic; it was just some guy doing like stunts. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's not. I don't necessarily think there's like a purism to magic, but like watching Penn and Teller and stuff like that, it really feels no, like that. Trained. Is, I always thought that was an overrated show. You don't like Penn and Teller? I like no, no, no. I like their their act and I like their TV shows, but I did see them at the Rio, and I thought oh. it was mad. Well, I haven't. Okay, I haven't seen them on the room. Mm, yeah. yeah, right. If you guys want to see an incredible, and I would recommend this to you also, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, go on Hulu <laughs> and watch Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself. Yeah, I saw that. Directed saw by Freak Out. You saw that. I like. I like that. I thought it was yeah. pretty good. I know a guy, a friend of mine, was like it was garbage, but I I didn't agree. I thought it was pretty good. I, I thought it was it. excellent. It was directed by Frank Oz. Yeah. Uh, very How chilling. Much direction do you do? Oh, he well, no, he also directed the play. Did he? Are you sure? Yes, he did. Yes, one hundred percent. I thought he I, showed up at the play and then wanted to direct the movie. No, 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 no. Uh, he mm. actually directed the play, uh, and Derek came up with the uh, the tr- illusions and stuff like that. He directed the play, and then he also directed the uh, the pro shot. Uh, Stephen Colbert showed up at the play and decided to turn it into a pro shot. That's that's what happened. How how did they do that last trick? Because I imagine it's just garbage, right? Like I imagine they just call like someone's friend. I mean, like, hey, what oh, is are you talking do? about the one with the letter? Yeah. Well, I don't want to spoil it, I guess. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, don't. Maybe we shouldn't talk about. It. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> I, 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 there, it's like the one part of this. Like most of the show is interesting, and then the very end, they. Well, it's not the very end. The very end is the one where he goes up to each person. That's what I mean. That's the one I mean. You're talking about that one. Oh, that's... Come on. You know what that is. No, I don't. I I mean, I'm really dumb with magic, too, is the problem. It's like, part of the reason I don't like David Copperfield, because I fall for what it. Is it? It's, it's called... well, don't say it. Don't say it. No one... Maybe the people who haven't listened to it. It's the t- one of the better parts of the show. I'll tell you off, Mike. <laughs> yeah, dude. Tell me Tell me off the show. <laughs> I, I Normally, I'm not... I don't care about any of the audience or spoilers, but at this point, like, if you're going to watch it, the ending is probably the most impactful bit. Yeah. And I'd feel like a dick if. Yeah. Know. Okay. Frank Oz well, is never going to come on the show if he hears yeah. what you're talking about. Or <laughs> well, it's, called, it's called In and of its, Itself. It's on Hulu right now. Go check it out. David oh, I also Copper want to know Field. how they did the letter one, too. Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the letter one until just now. Yeah. David Copperfield. Uh, you can view his stunts on YouTube. <laughs> uh, you could see him currently in Las Vegas. Uh, Copperfield Magic Underground sadly exists in only our imaginations. I guess sadly. We uh, will conclude Hooray for Hollywood no, no, next no, no, in two no. weeks. In two weeks with our final 
installment in this mini series. If I, in the meantime, uh, please follow us on social media on Twitter at UnbillPod. You can reach me at Open Mother's Mail and Ryan Dorman at Open the Dorman. Feel free to email us at UnbillPod at gmail.com and rate us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Anchor or wherever you find this podcast. Please write a review and tell us how we're doing. And if you don't like us, thank you for listening to Penn Sunday School. I'm Penn Gillette. See you guys. See ya. That's part of your trick, right? No. That's not my trick, Michael. On the next Arrested Development. It's my illusion. Michael relives a wedding nightmare. Put him out my hair. My beautiful hair. Push him in the pool. Why am I not going underwater? Dear God, why am I?